Good morning. About a month from now, many of us will be gathering on a table with family or friends and eating turkey. And at Thanksgiving, what a lot of people do is they send a lap around the table. Everyone shares something you're thankful for. Anyone ever done that? Thanksgiving meal? Yeah. If you're Canadians, you may have already done that. Your Thanksgiving was uh, last, or is it earlier in October. But for the rest of us, we do ours in November, like God intended. And, and when you're doing that, one year at my family table, they did that. Somebody had the idea. Everyone go around and share one thing you're thankful for. I was like, that's, that's a pretty good idea. I like that. That's good. Okay. So we share what we're grateful for. And then, like, they didn't think what to do next, so they panicked and goes, now everyone share three things you want for Christmas. And I was like, I think we're kind of moving past something that's pretty important before we get to our you know, get past our gratitude. We're thinking about what we want, what we don't have. And so I just think there's something about Thanksgiving. We tend to rush through it. So for the next month, I want to help you prepare, not for the meal, not for the, hey, get your best one and share it at the table. I want us to spend a season of just gratitude. I think it'd serve our hearts well. And what I want you to do is, have you ever heard the phrase, count your blessings? Raise your hand if you've ever heard that. I want to challenge you to count your blessings. Counting is hard. Math is hard. But count, count your blessings. Because I think when that happens, it does something for us. When we count our blessings, we remember we can always count on God. I want to t- think about that today because I think sometimes what we do is when we say what we're thankful for or we count our blessings, we, f- we, we can sometimes get focused in on what we have. I think the goal of this is we think about the one who gives it. it does, when we think about the one who gives it, it does something for our hearts and for our faith, and it builds trust. And so a season of counting your blessings, what we're going to try and do as a church, is more than just being aware of how much we have. Let's be honest. Most of us are pretty well off. God's been very good to us. And if you've ever spent time in other parts of the world, you recognize I was probably grading myself a little low in terms of what God's provided. We're, we're really blessed. But when you count your blessings, if you follow where it comes from, it always comes back to the generosity of God. And when you take inventory, I think it can do something in us. And what I want to talk about today, when you count your blessings and you recognize how generous God is to us, I think it can do something for us. It did for these four guys I want to talk about today. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings is in the Old Testament, so kind of front half, front part. And um, let me kind of set the scene of what's going on here. The Israelites are in their capital city of Samaria. And if you've ever read the Bible before, you might think, well, I thought the Israelites' capital city was Jerusalem. Well, what happened to the kingdom of Israel is they split into two kingdoms for a a while, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom was Israel, and the southern kingdom was Judah. Judah's capital was Jerusalem. Israel's capital in the northern kingdom was Samaria. And there were a lot of enemies around there. The Arameans were some of those. And they came up, and they laid siege to the city. And when somebody did that, that's what that means. They would come to a city, they would surround it and put all their army and they would just live there for a while. And so they brought everything with them, not just the stuff for battle, but I mean, if they had Thanksgiving come up, they'd bring the turkeys and they'd bring their, their, their treasure and they'd bring their good stuff. They brought, you know, their Nintendos and all that stuff. Like, like they're bringing everything with them, right? Like it's a, like a long-term tailgate, but the purpose of it is we're not going to let anybody get out of the city, and we're not going to let anything, especially 
somebody bringing supplies, getting into the city, and over time, the people in the city will become weak so we can overtake them easy in battle, or they will starve, or they'll just come out and surrender. And that's what they were hoping for. The Arameans have the city of Samaria and the Israelites trapped in this city. And sitting at the city gate are four guys who they're looking inside the city and seeing how bad it is there. People are starving. It was so bad that all of a sudden it tells you like what the prices were going for. And it's saying that something was going for some 10 shekels or whatever. It's hard for me to get that. I don't know what a shekel is. And so, but, but think about this. What was selling for a high price was a donkey head. I don't know what you were craving last night. I was kind of like, man, a steak sounds good tonight. I've never thought, I wish I had a donkey head. How much are those? They were apparently high priced because food was running out. So you're getting very creative in your meals. And then it turned really, really gross. Because the king's walking, here's two moms talking. One mom says to the other mom, hey, today, let's, let's kill and eat your child. And then tomorrow, we'll do mine. And then she double crosses her and says, after they eat the one child, we're not going to eat the other. Like, that's how bad it got. Not just cannibalism, but cannibalism with their children. It was bad. It was really bad. And these four lepers are sitting there going, well, that's bad. And then they look over here and they go, the army's out here. That's bad. And then we're, here we are. We got leprosy, which is basically their body was decomposing while they're alive. Highly contagious. So they're pushed to the edge of town. Outlook, like, no matter where we go, it's bad. This is where the story picks up in 2 Kings uh, chapter 7. And here's what it says. Now, there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city, at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go to the city, the famine is there and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. But if they kill us, then we die. So like of all the places we could go, it looks like the people who are here to kill everybody with lots of weapons who are well-rested, they may be our best chance if we could just go and say, hey, would you have compassion on us? Maybe one of their nephews had leprosy one day, and so they've got a soft spot for lepers, or maybe, I don't know what it is, or maybe they'd say, hey, just go away. Here's some food. Go away. That was, they thought that's their best chance, but they thought, in the end of it, we're probably going to die there too. But they were so uncomfortable, and so we can't just stay here. They had to do something, so they took action. They took a risk. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. Catch this. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So that they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp. And imagine that scene. They're showing up at the edge of the camp thinking, hey, don't kill us. Don't, mercy. And they're looking around going, there's no one here to surrender to. And the people had left so fast, they left all their stuff. They had left all their horses and donkeys and chariots and, and turkey legs and Xboxes. And I mean, everything, Dr. Pepper was there. Like, everything's there. And they're like, Look at each other going, we didn't even think this was possible. They reached out of the camp. They entered one of the tents and ate and drank. They took silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. 
They returned and entered another tent, took some things from it and hid them also. So they're just going around and they're going crazy. They've got food in one hand, drink in the other. They've got extra layers of clothes on. They've got probably wearing crowns and hats. And they're going, this is great. And they're laughing at each other. And they go, hey, let's go hide it and bury it so we save it for later. It's all ours. So they take it and they bury it. They come back, they get more, and they're celebrating, laughing at each other. They take it and bury it. And I don't know if this has happened, but this is how I see it going down. At one point, one of them's looking at the other who's got like a crazy hat and clothes on, and they're acting like the Arameans. Oh, well, let's run away. And they're making fun of him. And all of a sudden, one of them looks over his shoulder and sees the city. And they remember there's people in there who moms are willing to sacrifice their kids so they can try and stay alive just a little bit longer. They recognize there's a city that's starving and thinks that their best case scenario is they starve to death rather than having to face the Arameans. But they know that there's a city in great need. So they say this in verse 9. Then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. They go through this process where they stop and they take inventory. They counted their blessings. Of They show up at this camp, and all this stuff is there, and they go, we went from having nothing to having everything. And then when they realized how much they had, and I don't know if they connected the dots to realize that God is the one that scared away the Arameans. But they know that somehow it's been provided to them, and they didn't deserve it. They just found it. And when they took inventory, and they count their blessings, they go, look how much we have. And, and then they did something. At first, their discomfort moved them to go, we got to, we can stay here and die, we can go in the city and die, or we can go face the army, maybe not die, but probably die. That's our best chance, it's a long shot, let's do that. Their discomfort moved them to take a risk, to try and stay alive. But then, when they had all this stuff, their discomfort with how much they had, went from having nothing to having everything, their discomfort moved them to say, this is a day of good news, we can't keep it to ourselves. And it moved them to take action, to do something. And as a church... And, and if you're a guest today, man, I'm glad you're here. If you're not sure if Live Oak's in your church home, then just eavesdrop. But if, this is, if you're part of Live Oak, we exist for the other. I hope that we never get comfortable with anything that God's given us, that we forget that this is a day of good news, of how much God has given us. And beyond somewhere is somebody who needs something that maybe we have. If you're a follower of Jesus, there was a day where God impacted your life and you moved from death to life. I hope that we never get comfortable with the fact that, well, I know that I'm going to heaven when I die. That's good enough for me. I don't want anybody to miss out. I think everybody's life would be better if Jesus were at the center of it. I think it's the only way to live. It's the only way to die. This is what we... God. Gave it his son on the cross for what we celebrated with communion. I hope we never get comfortable with people not knowing Jesus. I hope we never get comfortable with the fact that, well, I have some connections. I'm connected. I'm known. I've got friends. I've got community. When we live in a world that loneliness is exponentially growing, people are becoming more and more disconnected, and we believe Christ and community is something that we can offer. I pray that we never look at each other and go, we're good. And tell others, good luck. I hope that discomfort moves us. I hope th the fact that the next generation has such a challenging um, outlook in terms of their faith journey. What statistics and research tells us is many people who are following Jesus right now, there will be so many challenges that they'll be tempted to look elsewhere, and many of them will. I hope we never 
get comfortable with the fact that, well, I made it through middle school. Well, I know some haven't yet. And we want them to know that we're with them. I hope people with physical, financial, spiritual, emotional needs are never overlooked by us as a church that we never think, well, I'm good and tell others good luck. At some point, we come to the conclusion when we, when we count our blessings and realize how generous God has been to us. What we say to ourselves is what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we're keeping it to ourselves. And it meant, meant that they took action. Their conviction that what they had was too good to keep to themselves moved them to get back, to take it back to others. So what I ask you to do for a second is just think about your life. Take an inventory. Have you stopped recently to take inventory of all the ways God has blessed your life? Don't rush over that too quickly. Don't just take one pass around the Thanksgiving table in a month and say, well, I'm grateful for my family. Don't pass over those things too quickly because what happens is when we are aware of how generous God has been to us, when we do that, it does something about strengthening our relationship with him. Have you taken stock of how generous God has been to you? Because what happens is when we count our blessings, we remember we can always count on God. And what we do is we do a much better job of counting our concerns than we do of counting our blessings. It's okay to count your concerns. We just spent a whole series talking about how to fear less, and you do that by faithing more. Fear less, faith more. God encourages you to be aware of what concerns you. Cast your cares upon him. It's okay to pray about that, to be aware of that. But a lot of us, what we can do is spend so much time counting our concerns, we don't stop and count our blessings, so what we forget is God is faithful on that day when the concern arises. Does that make sense? Count your blessings. Don't just count your concerns. Because what it does is it strengthens that idea that we can always count on God. He is faithful. He has a track record of faithfulness. And what it does is it builds our trust in him. And it has another impact. When we count our blessings, we understand that we serve a very generous God. God doesn't shortchange us. He goes above and beyond. He is so good to us. And my, my kids are from the Democratic Republic of Congo, so when we had to spend time there in the adoption process, I became so grateful for living in this country because I thought, man, at times, man, you know, I, I get kind of, I wish I had this or it's not as good, this isn't as good as I want. And then I spent time there and thought, we are so living such above at a higher level than the rest of the world. We are, God has been so generous to, to me in my life. How can I ever complain but what I, what, again, my focus can sometimes be on what I have or what I don't have, but what my focus is always served best is when my focus on who God is, his generosity, his faithfulness, his track record of consistency. And when, when I'm aware of how generous God has been to me, I'm aware of the fact that God's kids need to reflect his generosity for others. That if you're a child of God, that he wants you to, to reflect the generosity of your heavenly father. The Apostle Paul challenged us this way in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Command those who are rich, and you might stop and go, well, that's not me. Again, compare what you make annually. Think of last year's taxes, whatever you paid in taxes, your, base, your income for the last year. And then search that and compare it to the rest of the world. We're living in a much higher level sometimes than we think we are. But, but when you think about who's rich, go beyond your income. Think about what God has blessed you with, with relationships, with a relationship with him. 
If you have your basic needs of food, shelter, housing, security, and if those things are met, you really are rich. Many of the world today will go to bed hungry. Many of the world will go to bed today lonely. Many of the world will today go, ahead, go, go to bed tonight separated from a loving Heavenly Father. When you think of how rich you are, you recognize, He's talking to me. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or, nor, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Instead, but to put their hope in God. Catch this phrase. Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God just isn't concerned with your basic needs. Hey, I hope you have... You don't go to bed hungry. I hope your basic needs are met. He wants us to enjoy life. And he wants us to enjoy life with him. In fact, what he's saying is really, when you enjoy life with me, I'm the one who provides everything you need for life. I'm the one who does it. So he challenges this way. And this is the challenge we give Live Oak every year for the last five or six years. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share that's his challenge. When you're aware of how much you have, you come to the same conclusion that the four lepers did. Today's a day of good news. What we're doing is not right. We're keeping it to ourselves. Our response should be when we are aware of how much God has blessed us, how generous he is. It should be, I need to do good. I need to be rich in good deeds. And I need to be generous and willing to share. And here's the great news. If you're not gener- or rich financially, you can be rich with good deeds. It costs you zero dollars to speak to someone kindly. Zero dollars to befriend someone who's lonely and hurting. But for most of us, if we said, I can't keep this to myself. I'm going to live on a little bit less so I can do a lot more for God and for, the, for others. So what we try to do as a church is take a season every fall and focus on practical and tangible ways that the whole family for a season, even though we want to do this all year long for a season, we're going to kind of focus together and say, this is our goal, to be rich in good deeds, generous and willing to share. I want to ask you to watch a quick video that kind of summarizes what we did last fall in our giving initiatives. We were involved with with four initiatives last year. Three of the four we're doing this year are the same. One of them is a little bit different. But I want to encourage you, to, if, especially if you're a new here, you weren't here last year, lean in and look and kind of here's what happened last year. And I want you to see some of the fruit of how God worked through us as we took this challenge to heart and said, we're going to do this as a church, as a family, and as an individual. I want to be generous and willing to share and rich in good deeds. Watch, and then Mark Ford is going to come up and explain the rest. Watch this. On a one-month-long generosity focus. As a church family, we participate in very tangible and practical initiatives that serve those in need across the street, across the globe, and into the next generation. It's time to begin our 2017 Fall Giving initiatives. But first, let's look at how God moved in this church family last year. Live Oak provided 156 hygiene kits for women and children at Lubbock Impact. These women and children come from situations of economic hardship and daily struggle to make ends meet. The hygiene kits meet tangible needs and also instill a sense of dignity to some really special people. Operation Christmas Child provides a shoebox gift to a child in a third world country. 
Last year, Live Oakers put together 299 shoeboxes. What we love so much about Operation Christmas Child is that every child who gets a shoebox participates in a program called The Greatest Journey, where they learn about the promise of hope that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Over a month of Sundays, we all brought our pocket change to church. Shockingly, we accumulated almost $2,400. This money went to an orphanage in the Democratic Republic of Congo to serve children who live there. These particular children will never be adopted out. Our pocket change fed precious children for several months. Finally, Live Oak was able to provide a Thanksgiving dinner to the children, house parents, and staff of the Children's Home of Lubbock, a total of 120 deserving people. The Children's Home houses and cares for kids who have been displaced from their homes of origin. It was our joy to provide the food and serve the meal as a way to bless the kids and say thank you to the house parents who give so much day in and day out. With no doubt, God moved in us last year. As we enter into this year's month of generosity, may He move in us again in a mighty way. Well, I just want to reiterate something Doug said earlier. I have been blessed by the generosity of this church, and I'm so grateful that someone invited me. Um, and I have been blessed over the years by being connected to this community. And... Uh, I have been blessed to see uh, you guys respond over the last several years with these giving initiatives. And like the video said, uh, I'm just going to kind of hit some of the highlights of what, how we're participating this year and challenge you guys to participate. As was mentioned, we did 299 Operation uh, Christmas Child boxes last year. Uh, again, this re uh, provides a basic Christmas gift that uh, you fill a shoebox with a basic Christmas gift, some, some toys, some other items for kids in a third world nation. But more importantly, they also get to hear the gospel message. This year we ordered 400 boxes. So go big or go home. It's kind of our mantra. But here's the great thing about Operation Christmas Child. If we run out of boxes, no big deal. Get your own box and uh, fill a shoebox with a gift. And so we would love to exceed that 400 threshold. If you do take a box this morning... We just challenge you to bring it back. Uh, don't leave anything at home. Also, we're going to do hygiene kits again for Lubbock Impact. We do have a limited number of bags for women and children at Lubbock Impact. We have to limit that number just because of storage issues at Lubbock Impact. Uh, but this has been uh, something they have been so blessed with and overwhelmed with the last couple of years. Uh, we're going to participate at the Children's Home of Lubbock again. And you can sign up to serve for that. Um, or you can participate three different ways. You can sign up to serve. You can sign up to provide gift cards uh, from uh, United or other places uh, so that we can buy food. Or you can give funds directly toward the meal costs. And I'll talk more about that in just a minute about how you practically do that. And then this year, because of the events uh, surrounding Hurricane Harvey down on the coast of Texas, we were going to do coins for the coast. Uh, we're going to provide funds just from our pocket change. We were overwhelmed with how much pocket change we got last year. Uh, the bank loved us. Let me just tell you. <laughs> Let me just tell you. It was a lot of fun. 
and uh, we want to uh, we want to wear them out again. They'd emptied their machine three times for us last year for counting coins. So uh, we're going to provide coins to the coast for our neighbors down south to get funds in the hands of people who are helping rebuild down there. So how do I participate? Well, I'm glad you asked. Thanks for asking. Uh, you can find everything on, at the Give 2017 icon on the app or on the graphic on our website. As it scrolls through, you can click on that. You can rock it old school using the insert in your bulletin. There's information on there. Collections will start next week, so anything you take today or want to bring, you, there will be obvious places to return that in the foyer next week. And so you can start next week, and then it wraps up on November the 19th. Actually, the evening of November the 19th will be our Thanksgiving worship night here at Live Oak. And that's a really fun event, but that will be kind of the last time that you can return things. But you can start next week. And then as Doug mentioned, this is something you can do as a family. You can do as a small group, as a serving team. You could do it with someone you work with, uh, your teammates, whatever it is. But we encourage you to do this together. And I know for us as a family, my wife and I and our kids, they're older now they're teenagers but we've done this for many years and they know hey we're gonna we're gonna forgo sonic or we're gonna forgo starbucks and we're gonna save our change to be generous with that we're gonna go shop together for operation christmas child and, and uh our boys have really gotten into it and so i encourage you to do that together uh it's a great way to do that and then last but not least uh this is an over and above giving initiative if live oak is your church home as always we encourage you to give to the mission through your regular tithe and offering, but this is an over and above giving initiative, not an instead of giving initiative. So we uh, encourage you to participate in that way. I'm going to invite Doug to come on back up and uh, to close this out, but I'm really excited to kick this off, to be a part of it, and to see how God's going to work through his people. Thanks, Mark. Back to you, buddy. <laughs> It's just really awkward. We don't have a good clutch for that transition, but I'm quite certain that wasn't it. <laughs> hey, you know, one of the things I love about doing this is, as a church, we're always turned outward, and even in our budget, a good percentage of our budget is focused on outward. When we did a giving initiative to, to uh, redo the, the foyer and uh, add square footage for kids' space and uh, parking lot space, we gave a percentage, 10% away to build the church. Uh, overseas in Kenya. You can build on pennies of the dollars. Sometimes our, our, our change can have such significant impact, and sometimes I think God puts a multiplier effect in there. He, he multiplies things. But one of the things, I, I know it makes an impact beyond us. When we are doing good and being rich in good deeds and being generous and willing to share, it does something for us. I mean, for others, but I believe it does something in us, too. In the Bible, it says it does something in eternity. Look what it says next. In this way, what, being rich in good deeds, generous, willing to share, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. What does that mean? I mean, what does that mean? I mean, it's this incredible promise. In doing that, you lay up treasure for yourselves as a firm foundation so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Like, when you're living this way, that's truly life, the life that God gives and provides when we do it makes a big impact. Now, what he's not saying is, because Paul was the one writing this, he wasn't saying that, hey, if you're generous enough, you get to go to heaven. That's not what he's saying. Paul was very clear, we're spiritually and morally bankrupt. And if it's not for the generosity of our heavenly father 
poured out at the cross and extended to us by grace because of his mercy that we receive by faith. We don't have a hope or a prayer of getting in unless our prayer is to him receiving his mercy. But he clearly says that something we do in this life does echo in eternity. It makes a difference there. Here's what Proverbs says in 22.9. The generous will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. What does that mean? I've been curious about this word blessed for about a year and a half now. And we're starting this series next week, blessed, with with a question mark. Because I think it's one of the most frequently used but frequently misused or misunderstood but it's clearly something we don't want to miss out on. So what is it exactly? Sometimes we use blessed as a synonym for karma. Or sometimes, you know, a lot of times when I'm showing a picture of when I think I'm blessed, it usually involves a beach and palm trees. Blessed is used hundreds of times in the Bible. And it's not always, quite rarely, around palm trees and sand. And quite often, it's not about just a financial blessing. It's about something something else. So I want to invite you to come back next week. We're really kind of kicking off blessed today, talking about how blessed we are and challenging you to count your blessings. But I want you to come back next week, and I want you to engage in this process of trying to figure out what is exactly God says when he says you will be blessed. What does that mean? How do we experience that? How do we understand that? How do we live that way? And then also what we're going to do is I want you to kind of engage this process of counting your blessings. I want to challenge you to engage the scriptures on here, one for each week starting today, tomorrow. You're starting off by reading Psalm 1. And what you'll notice is if you read through the Psalms, that's what we're going to read in in between now and the end of this series, the word blessed shows up a lot in the book of Psalms, which is a book of prayers. It's like you're reading somebody's prayer journal of how they pray to God. And so we discover some truth about that as you engage the scripture. But I'm excited for what the next month can do for you. I'm excited what the next month could do within you. As you practice generosity, as you engage scripture, as we think about what does it mean to be blessed. Because I think God has something for us. And what he does, and this is, there's a very strategic reason why we did blessed right after we did fear less, faith more. Because the key to fearing less is about faith. That's how we move forward. I think what will happen as we count our blessings, as we engage scriptures, we talk about what does it mean to be blessed, I think what it does is it reminds us that when we count our blessings, we remember we can count on God. It's about building our trust in our Heavenly Father. He has a track record of faithfulness that does not change depending on what's in front of me. His faithfulness is always consistent. And as we build that trust and that faith with him, that's what I think will happen over the next month. We will develop a stronger and a deeper faith and trust in our Heavenly Father. Because sometimes it takes faith to say, I'm going to live on a little bit less so I can give a little more right now. I'm going to take a risk trusting that God's going to do something here based on me making a sacrifice. Because God ultimately made a sacrifice for us So we could be called children of God, but we're not only children, and he wants us to be concerned about the other. But primarily what God is doing in your life each and every day, I believe, is he is building a trust relationship that you and he have by faith. And I think that's what will be happening in this series, and I'm really excited about it. But I'll be honest, the word blessed is a confusing word in the Bible. 
and tomorrow we'll, t- we'll be confused together. I mean, not tomorrow, next week. We don't do church on Monday. N- not for religious reasons, for practical reasons. Anyway, stop talking. Stand for closing prayer. Stand for closing prayer. And I want to ask you to take the challenge to be rich in good deeds, to t- participate in the giving issues. Take the challenge to count your blessings every day. Spend time on that. And take the challenge to develop a deep faith trust with God to remember that he can be counted on. God, thanks that we can count on you. We count on you for our salvation, for a relationship with you, for the forgiveness of sins. We count on you really for everything. But sometimes because the way you provide touches so many other hands before it gets to us, we forget that the mere fact that we have breath in our lungs, that we can actually show up and do a job, the fact that we can go to school and get an education that will enable so many possibilities in our future, the fact that you've created us for community and we have people in our lives that connect with us. We just, there's so many things we can be thankful for. And I pray every single one will be a reminder that you are faithful and we can trust you. Help us to always remember we can count on you and I pray that others could count on us as we express generosity to meet the needs and to serve others and those who are in need to not just love you but also to love our neighbor with our generosity. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for being here. I'll be down at the front if you'd like to talk. Giving initiatives for Operation Christmas Child and hygiene kits are on either side.